Cameron DeVazier. And I'm Mark Howard. And this is Talking Points. We are rapidly heading towards the end of this quarter. We're in December now for our lesson, December 9 through 15, actually. Yes, not even, indeed. Not even this beginning. We're headed into the middle of December. Lesson 11 of our God's Mission, My Mission study lesson series. That's right. And a little preview coming up in then just a few weeks, we're going into the Psalms. Ooh, that's true. That's right. So First be... quarter of 2024 is <laughs> on the horizon. We know that because we inadvertently had had that quarterly early and we recorded the first talking point. I think we recorded it. I think maybe we, may we have... didn't record it, but we had the outline. I'd had it done. I don't remember. Psalms is next. It's coming right up. Right now, we're still in mission two. God's mission, my mission. Well, in fact, we're still in mission to the unreached because yes. last week we had mission to the unreached part one, and this week we have mission to the unreached part two, the culmination of this little mini-series in here. And again, the unreached is just a term we're using for people who are not or have not had exposure to or might even be antithetical to the, the gospel message. Mm-hmm. They may be in opposition to it somehow, um, or at least we would regard yes. them as such. So... Uh, this time we focus on the work specifically in the cities and with people who we may not necessarily expect to be receptive to the message, people outside of our you know, geographical area or even cultural boundaries or something like this. And we look at it through the lens primarily of Jesus' ministry uh, in the hmm. New Testament, of course. So uh, there's a lot to unpack here. And there's, there's some I could say right now. Let me just say a, a thing right off the top before we get into our prayer and our study of the lesson. So far, we've, we've covered a lot of like how to reach or the fact that we should reach these people or those mm-hmm. people or in this context or in your neighborhood, right. family members, all good things. I'm a, I'm a little bit, I don't want to say disappointed, but I was expecting a little bit more how to. of the practical. Like, so what do I, I know I should go to those people. How do I go about doing it? And I was thinking, well, maybe that's where the challenge and challenge ups come in. And that hasn't really been happening either. So I think it's a very good thing to be reminded of what our mission is and who we're supposed to reach out to. And the motive for it is great. But I I would like to see more practical application, a little more nuts and bolts. Well, there's a, we could do the whole talking points on this. So I will refrain. Okay. But I will say that there, there seems to be a mindset. And this lesson, I see it you know, almost a little more heavy, that the reason we don't witness is because we don't like people. Mm. Like, uh, uh, we don't feel comfortable around this, or we're prejudiced, or we're this or that. And and the reality is, I'm not going to say there's none of that that exists, Mm -hmm. but so the lesson is addressing this, got to urge us to, you got to be witnessing these people. But Ellen White tells us in the book, Ministry of Healing, page 149, that many would be willing to work Mm -hmm. if they were taught how to begin. And so what she's saying is the main reason a lot of people don't witness more is not because they don't like the people that, and they mm-hmm. don't, it's that they don't know how to do it. Right. So it's not a and question so of why. that's what you're kind it's of speaking of to exactly. is it's a little unfortunate and there are good things we're going to draw out of the lesson, but um, uh, maybe this is a time to say there are a lot of resources available in the church. You can go to the Sabbath School Personal Ministries Department. You can go through ours. You can go to our website, michigansspm.org. Mm-hmm. You can go to the General Conference website. In fact, the new TMI website, the Global, Global TMI, TMI. Yeah, visit is that. dealing with, it has a lot of practical resources, and they're adding to that as well, practical resources where you can work on training in your local church so that as members are going through this quarterly and they're saying, yeah, we want to do more, we should be doing more, mm-hmm. how do we do more? I'd encourage you to follow up with some kind of practical training. 
Excellent, excellent point. And well, we have an Emmanuel training coming up. Oh, if you don't want to do that. it in your local yeah. church, <laughs> that's right. You send them to Emmanuel, and we'll train them how to train, and they can go back and do some training in your local church. Perfect so. plug. Thank you for that. All right. Anyway. So for now, however, we need to get into I was this lesson. That's why I had you it. You were looking forward, and you planned <laughs> that exactly. All right. Well, our lesson this time is again mission to the unreached part two. We're going to look at some of the examples of Jesus and glean lessons from it for our. Day today, but yes. before we dive into the specifics, our talking points, could you lead us in a word of prayer? Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the privilege we have to be a part of your mission. And Lord, I ask as we study this week's uh, quarterly lesson, uh, both here during talking points and Lord in local churches as uh, teachers are leading out, I pray that you would move upon the hearts of your people to have a deeper um, sense of mission, uh, more desire to win the lost, in this uh, specific case, the unreached, Lord, and um, I pray that your Spirit would direct us into how we can do that more effectively. We mm. ask and pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All, All right. right. We points. have three talking points this week, as is our custom. Talking point number one is that God's people and the unreached need each other. Okay. Now, obviously you think, well, this is a mission to the unreached and how they need what we have to offer, but there's some re- there's a symbiotic relationship almost okay. that God designed. We're going to look at that from Sunday, Tuesday, and Wednesday's lesson primarily. Talking point number two, the growth Christ intends for us is only gained in obedience. That's from Tuesday and Wednesday, but it's all good to talk about the theory, but you actually have to do it to get what Christ wants from right. us. Okay. And finally, point number three, faith is often found in unexpected places. And that's primarily Thursday and Friday. But the idea that our own hesitations about things does not limit what potential is there. All right. Very good. Let's go through them. Let's talk about this. First of all, God's people and the unreached need each other. Uh, This was an an interesting thought that to me jumped out of this week's lesson. Uh, We noticed that God's people, this was brought out on Sunday uh, when it talked about uh, the history with Judges 3, 1 Kings 5, 1 Kings 11, of how uh, God had brought his people to the promised land but didn't uh, clear out all the Canaanites and left certain tribes there. Right. right? And specifically, in fact, why don't you look up Judges 3? Just read that passage for us real quick. Um, there's a particular, I don't remember which of the verses is, but... Uh, the reason is given, and I thought it was fascinating. Judges 3, 1 to 4. So you have yeah, the verse, verse 4 specifically. says, And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. Mm. So the Lord intentionally left peoples mm-hmm. in the path of his own people to test his own people. Right? So he intended to use them. And we see that God has a way, especially in ancient Israel's history, of doing that. We think of the manna crisis. He caused them to hunger, that yeah. he might test them. And the next chapter, after 16 was the manna, in chapter 17, they thirst at the waters of Meribeth, and he tests them to see how they would respond to that. Well, let's, uh, you know, on the surface I could read this and say, well, he wanted to make sure that in the midst of idolatrous people, they would keep themselves pure. Right. And, you know, we could read like that, that, that ex- mm. almost an exclusiveness or something. When when you think about the commandments, you know, love God, love the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and soul, and your neighbor as yourself. And the greatest way to love your neighbor is to share God with him, mm. right? Yeah. So it, I, I see part of this is he wanted to see if they were going to try to 
convert their 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 counterparts and, and and win them to the gospel, right? Right. Well, and it's, think about it. It's a little bit of an asterisk there too, because in ancient Israel, they were supposed to be moving those people out, dispossessing them. So you're either right. going to how do I say this, frankly, right. kill them or convert them, but not just ignore them and yeah. not just like set up treaties with them, become neighbors with them, become buddy buddies with them, right? The, the goal was to either, you know, grow, you're going to grow the kingdom of God and by God's grace, bring them into that and convert them along the way, but expand the kingdom. Right. But here they didn't do that. And you see what they happens. Didn't either. Exactly. So you can see that in the in the history in First Kings five, there they make a deal with them to get cedar from Lebanon to build the house of the Lord, and then chapter eleven, Solomon start taking their wives, and the whole place is turned over to idols. Mm. And so Israel, instead of fulfilling the commission God gave them, actually gets in, becomes part of their culture instead of the other way around, and they fail the test. Mm-hmm. Let me say that. Now, interestingly, that people's testing thing goes into the New Testament too. Uh, it's, it's, you have the nation of Israel there surrounded by Judea and Samaria and then the, the ends of the earth, those other mm-hmm. kingdoms. And the Jewish pride had to, we don't want any more of that, you know, Solomon apostatizing thing. So we're going to build up the wall of separation between us. So we never reach out to them. And they thought that was the, the fix for it was we'll never have that again. So Christ comes and says, no, 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 you need to reach out to these people. And so he sends, for instance, after his resurrection, he sends Peter to the house of Cornelius. Right. And even during his own time, Jesus does not just spend his time around the children of Israel. That's right. He goes oftentimes to other places. He interacts with other people. And in this instance, the lesson really highlights that Jesus goes to Tyre and Sidon and takes his disciples with them to have the interaction with the Syrophoenician woman. And that is found in Matthew chapter 15. Let's go there and take a look. Matthew chapter 15. How did Jesus interact with the peoples, the very peoples that God had left for them to be tested by? Okay, Uh, Let's read just a little bit, verses 21 to 28. Can you read that for us, please? Then Jesus went out from there and departed to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, a woman of Canaan came came from that region, rather, and cried out to him, saying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely demon-possessed. But he answered her not a word, and his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she cries out after us. Mm. But he answered and said, I was not sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Then she came and worshipped him, saying, Lord, help me. But he answered and said, It is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to the little dogs. Mm. And she said, Yes, Lord, yet even the little dogs eat the crumbs which fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered and said to her, O woman, great is your faith. Let it be to you as you desire. And her daughter was healed from that very hour. And what's interesting about that is very next verse, Jesus departed from there. He was on a mission for this one Mm -hmm. specific purpose. He takes his disciples into Tyre and Sidon, encounters this particular woman, who the Bible goes out of his way, that this was a Syrophoenician woman, right? Right. And if you could look at that interaction... If you didn't know it was Jesus saying it, you'd say that was some of the most unchristlike way to deal. Mm-hmm. But you can't say it was unchristlike because he's the one doing it. Right. But why is he treating her this way? Well, it's an object lesson he's trying to teach his disciples that this is how you guys think of those people, and I'm showing you what that looks like and yeah. how unchristlike it really is. But then the woman keeps coming back, even the dogs get a crumb, you know, from the table, and he says, "Great is your faith," and he heals the woman's daughter. Time doesn't permit this, but I, in, in pastoral ministry and in conference work, I know of a lot of churches that if you talk to them, 
they see themselves as very friendly. Mm. In fact, some of them, I've had been to churches that call themselves the friendly church in town or whatever yeah. else. And yet, if you watch the interactions with, with guests and sometimes with certain factions within, it's far from friendly. Yeah. And so I can imagine the disciples probably thought they were pretty friendly guys. Yeah. And Jesus said, yeah, watch this. Well, I'm guessing whenever they went to the synagogue and they read those Old Testament passages yeah. about being a light to the Gentiles, they all said, like, amen. Right. But in their interactions, it wasn't that at all. Mm. Jesus was teaching them that. In fact, Desire of Ages, page 400, there's a great quote about his goal it says, there. by ministering to the Syrophoenician woman's sorrow, he could give a living representation of the lesson he designed to teach. For this, he had brought his disciples into this region. The partition wall which Jewish pride has had erected shut even the disciples from sympathy with the heathen world. But these barriers were to be broken down. Mm. And the lesson mm. on Sunday draws out what this mission, the application for us would be, that despite the history of paganism and idolatry and their negative influence on the chosen nation, Jesus still brought his disciples to these places. In this way, he initiated them in, I love this language, cross-cultural urban mission. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I would ever look at that passage and like, look, oh, clearly they're engaging in cross-cultural urban mission, but there it is. But the point is to confront them with their bias and bigotry and modeled for his followers, that would be us, holistic urban mission to all cultures and nationalities. So clearly the Lord mm-hmm. intends his people not only to be a blessing to the unreached, but in return, in working with the unreached to bless and build us into the people he wants us to be. All right. I'm going to give a quick and controversial plug here. Okay. Uh, and that is, you know, the cross, let, I'm, I'm going to give you another term for cross-cultural urban mission. It's called public evangelism. Ooh. And uh, this is a bad word in the church today. We have people say, oh, that's a waste of time. And it, it, it. But I'm going to tell you, we're in the midst of it here in Michigan right now. Mm. And you're not going to get a more cross-cultural urban crowd out right. than when you do public evangelistic meetings. We've got meetings going all over Michigan yes. in a public place. People invited. And there's no thing at the door where we're like, oh, you can't be here. You can't be here. And you're you from get the wrong all culture. Kinds will come in. You have too much money. Right. You don't have enough money. Yeah. You're of the wrong background. You're the wrong. None of that. They all come in, and I'll tell you what, it gives our members the opportunity to encounter and minister, and it also gives the the church leaders an, an opportunity to do just like Jesus did here yes. and model what it looks like to treat, not, don't model the way that, <laughs> no, know, don't, don't call yeah. them the Christ the, can do that, but exactly, yes. Yeah. Model the right way, right. and it gives us an opportunity to be actively engaged. I'm not saying that's the only way, right. but it's really. But it's a benefit. We a think, oh, we're messing. We're giving them the ministry, but in reality, they're a training ground for our character too, and building up the church as it's supposed well, to be. And it helps us to, you know, we we've shared it before. Uh, education says the book Education says it is acquaintance that awakens sympathy, mm. and sympathy is a spring of effective ministry. Well, you get acquainted with these people as yes. they come, and your heart goes out in a way that it wouldn't had you not been engaged in that ministry. Absolutely true. So, now, that nice segue to talking point number two, that the growth Christ intends for us is only gained in obedience. So we could sit here and talk about it. We could lament the condition of an unfriendly church, perhaps, mm-hmm. or have the need to go to the other people. But unless we actually get up and do, we're not mm. going to see the growth that God intends. Right. You think about the healing miracles. And I've got a couple listed down in the notes. This didn't come from the lesson, by the way. But just off the top of the head, Luke chapter 17 talks about the... the the paral- uh, not the, the paralyzed, the, the lepers, lepers, who were the cleansed by Jesus. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed, right? That's it was right. in the walking and obedience that the cleansing came. 
John chapter 5, you have the man who is the paralytic and Jesus says, stand up and walk. But it does not say he healed him and then he walked. He just gave him the command and he had to respond in faith without any sense that it was going to work physically, but just trusting that the word had the power in itself and that by faith he would be made well. Absolutely. And, uh, well, uh, there's a great little statement from, I put it in the notes, Desire of Ages 203, I'll just read the second half. Jesus had given him no assurance of divine help. The man might have stopped to doubt and lost his one chance of healing, but he believed Christ's word, and notice this, and in acting upon it, he received strength. So by obeying came the blessing, right? Now, I put it in the notes this way. The same principle is true for the restoration of our fallen character. It can only be renewed through the exercise of faith and obedience. So when God calls us to reach out to our neighbors, we could sit in the Sabbath school class and think about how important that is mm-hmm. and talk about the priority it should be in our lives. Even go home and pray about an opportunity to do that. But until we actually do it, we're not going to gain the blessing, right? Well, I think of John seven seventeen, where it says, if any man wills to do his will, he'll know of the doctrine, whether it's from God, etc. Yes. And we, we tend to think of will as want. Mm. And so... Ellen White says very clearly, the power of the will is the power of choice. Yes. So if anybody wills, yeah, I want to do his will, and that's a part of it. But I think Jesus is saying, if somebody chooses to do his will, it's just what you're saying. It's in the willingness to act upon what mm-hmm. God says that then we understand the truth. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a great statement, I don't have it in here, where Ellen White says, truth is truth only to those who practice it. Oh, such a good and point. And it's just the same idea. You've well, got to be, you got to step in the water, <laughs> you know? Right, and I almost put that quote in there, it's in the water and not on the land that man wanted to swim, you know? Yeah. But it's the concept of acting is where the faith is made manifest, right? Yes. And in Acts chapter 10, you think of the, the cross-cultural uh, experience, experience of, 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 of Peter, right? He was mm-hmm. sent, and the vision of the sheet, if you recall, was given three times, not because the Lord necessarily yeah. designed it, but he kept not accepting it. So he gave him again and gave him again. And Peter kept saying, no, Lord, I don't understand And we don't have time to go through this whole study, but in Acts chapter 10, the Bible goes out of its way to say that Peter was still thinking about the dream. What could this possibly mean? And he gets, while he's thinking, the knock comes on the door and an angel has to tell him, these are from Cornelius, (laughs) go with him, stop doubting and just do it. And Peter, to his credit for all of his foibles, at least whatever Mm. Jesus said, if he said, walk out on the water, he did it, right? So he obeys. And in his ministry to Cornelius... Which, by the way, you study the story, it's really interesting. It doesn't start off well. Cornelius bows down and worships Peter. Peter is offended by that. He picks mm-hmm. him up. He's like, I'm just a man. I can't believe I'm in this house of mm-hmm. heathens, you know. But he does the ministry anyway. And as he's ministering to him, it's then that Peter says, God has shown me not to call any man unclean. Now I understand the vision. Right. And then he sees the Holy Spirit poured out. And he says, who can deny them Baptists? Because they've had the same experience that we've had. Like, but it was in the doing that Peter understood. It was in the obeying that we're built. Um, Well, it's in obeying you gain the experience. mm. And and, and it it proves the veracity of, not that we, you know, the word is true, but we just see it like fulfilled. Well, I think of Jesus and his disciples, he could have stayed inside the border of his hometown and explained, Mm -hmm. he could have told the story of the Syrophoenician woman. But they wouldn't have learned it until they actually crossed the borders, saw this woman, and what was their initial reaction? Send her away. Mm-hmm. He's like, no, 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 that's what you would say. 
Well, it's just like you said. We'll sit into church. You can nod to an amen, all kinds of stuff in church that if push came to shove in your practical life, it really doesn't look that way. That's right. And and we don't even realize it half the time. It's like, no, 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 I believe that. Oh, do you now? Mm -hmm. Right? And and they got a chance to see that in real time. Well, why don't you read that statement from Desire of Ages 400 there? Says Christ, this is also from the Quarterly Tuesday, paragraph 5, last paragraph. It says, Christ did not immediately reply to the woman's request. He received this representative of a despised race as the Jews would have done. In this, he designed that his disciples should be impressed with the cold and heartless manner in which the Jews would treat such a case, as evinced by his reception of the woman and the compassionate manner in which he would have them deal with such a distress, uh, with such distress, as manifested by his subsequent granting of her petition. So, so he's is, contrasting the two things. Right. He essentially acts out, here's how you guys behave, and here's how you should behave. And it's, they learned it in real time. It, it's, I mean, time doesn't permit, but it, it's like, there are certain things you see in a different light. Like, if one of them had done it, they probably wouldn't have thought about it. That's how they, but watching Jesus do something right. so uncharacteristic arrested their attention. Yes. It's almost like, you know, kids, my kids, they, they, oh, they have a friend who says, oh, I like, they, they like the song and it's not that bad. And I say, well, let's listen to it. And when they listen to it with me, yeah, it's super it's, awkward. All of a sudden, it's way awkward for them because it's like, well, this time, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, kind of the same thing. Like it just really emphasized as they saw Jesus doing it. Something doesn't look right. Have you seen those those dads who like try to impress their kids with like how silly their clothes look or how immodest they are, and so they put on those same clothes? Yeah. They're like, please don't ever do that. It's like, yeah. yeah. So when you see Dad Jesus being that rude. You're like, Jesus, that's not like you. like, but that's like you. That's right. That's how you look to these people. No, no, we're not. Yeah, yeah you are. <laughs> so they had to obey Jesus, follow him in, and learn that lesson. Mm. But let's go on to our final talking point with the last few minutes here. That faith is often found in unexpected places. Mm. This seems to be a theme, honestly, of a lot of Jesus' own ministry. Because you would think that of all the places his own people would receive him, but for instance, the Gospel of John starts off saying, but he came to his own and his own did not receive him, right? right. You look at his reception in his hometown, twice, by the way, at the beginning and the end of his ministry. You would think on the first ministry, you, there's an excuse, well, this is new, and we remember him as a kid, and of course they rejected him. But later, after years of ministry, he comes back to his hometown, mm -hmm. and they've heard all the stories of everything he's done other... And they still don't accept him, right? But how many times does he find faith in the unexpected places? So the point that I have in the note here is that Christ's ministry was limited by a lack of faith from his own people. I thought the lesson did a good job of bringing out that there are multiple occasions in Jesus' ministry where he would use phrases like, Oh, ye of little faith. Mm -hmm. And he wasn't talking like to the Syrophoenician woman right. or to the Gentile over here or to the centurion over there. He was talking to his own disciples, his own yeah. people. Like when he's calmed the sea, I think of the example, when Jesus calmed the sea, mm -hmm. his own disciples were like, who can this be that even <laughs> right. the wind and the waves? But when the demons, two verses later, approached him and said, you son of God. That's right. No equivocation. Like, it's like his own people were like, well, we'll sit in the corner, we'll evaluate. It's we'll like a blind man when he calls out and says, son of David, have mercy on me. They're not calling him son of David because that yeah. means he's the Messiah. It's right. like Jesus of Nazareth is what they call him. Who's coming? Jesus of Nazareth. No, it's the, the son, son of David. Of... No, it's Jesus of Nazareth. <laughs> yeah. So over and over again, and, you know, here, look, desire, uh, 
On Thursday, paragraph three, it says, even in Jesus' hometown of Nazareth, little faith or even outright unbelief was the limiting factor to Christ's ministry. Mm-hmm. You think of uh, desire. Uh, you you had this statement from Matthew chapter thirteen. Well, Matthew thirteen tells yeah. us in Capernaum, not many mighty works were done there because right. of their unbelief. I mean, just spells it right out. And I think we all have it, it, one thing that strikes me about this is in our home, te- like we experience that, and we say, "Well, the problem is the people that are closest to me are the hardest to witness to because they know what I used to be." You know, yeah. gonna, but in Jesus' case. What he used to be was awesome. Yeah. Like, there was never a time when he was this. And yet, even in his ministry, you see that there's just that dy- dynamic of the people who know you uh, mm. are, tend to be harder to witness to. Mm. Not impossible, though. Yeah, and again, as Sister you, White brings that point out, that they would not receive him as the Christ of God because mm. of their unbelief. The Savior could not work many miracles among mm. them. And you think about that. You think, well, God can do anything. Well, No. He can't. If, in his wisdom, he brings our faith into a cooperative agency, right? So the mm-hmm. fact that, like, there was so much more ministry Christ wanted to do for his own people. Right. But he didn't, and he even talked about that. He said, whenever he was first rejected at Nazareth, he said, were there not many widows in Israel, in the time of Elisha, but he was sent to, or Elijah, and he was sent right. to, and then the time of Elisha, the same thing. And he walks away and doesn't, they, and, and their response to that is to try to push him off the cliff. And he just walks through them and leaves. Mm. So, in contrast, however, Christ often found faith outside of Israel. You think of Matthew chapter 8, the centurion, uh, who doesn't even deign to come near Jesus, but sends an emissary saying, I'm not worthy that I should come to you or that you should come into my house. And Jesus makes this statement. Well, by the way, the centurion also said, but just speak the word only. That's right. And my servant will be. So we had faith that I don't even have to come there. Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, I have not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And over and over, that was the experience that the people that the, the quote faithful would expect to be faithless, the roles were actually reversed. And I think the takeaway lesson for us is we should not look at people by their exterior alone or their circumstances or their Mm. nationality or their color or their caste or whatever the thing may be, their economic situation, and think, oh, these would be not particularly promising candidates. Or these ones over here would be. It's not for us to determine that. We should sow the seed in all places, right, beside all waters and see what the Lord will do. Elder Mark Finley makes the point that we need to see people as winnable. And I was just talking to my dad on the phone last night, and he was talking about when he was young and he had done this group Bible study, there was one guy that apparently was kind of over-the-top, kind of hot-tempered, you know, got violent and stuff like that. And Mm. they said, hey, we ought to invite him to the study. You know, you're like, (laughs) oh, no, what's this going to do to the study? Long and short of it is... The first one who ended up making a stand for Christ is this guy. He went mm. to a camp meeting. Elder C.D. Brooks was preaching, and he took his stand for Amen. the truth. And so the the unexpected places yes. are all out there. We need to see people as winnable and the lesson in and out of the church. makes this explicitly clear on Thursday, paragraph 4. It says, one lesson that we can apply to today is that faith is found in unexpected places. In the cities, among foreigners, pagans, and people with different religions— In humility, we must go into the cities as Jesus did, seeking out those who, when presented with truth, will respond with a saving faith in Jesus, and they are indeed out there. Amen. I think that's a great point, that we should not limit 
the miracle working power of God by our own lack of faith, right? And even not just for ourselves, but the blessing it could be to others when we limit it with our perceptions that are faulty and limited. Mm. So, well, there's a great statement for closing in Desire of Ages 403 you have here. Cast is hateful to God. He ignores everything of this character. In his sight, the souls of men, of all men, are of equal value. Without distinctions of age or rank or nationality or religious privilege, all are invited to come unto him and live. Powerful statement. Amen. And we don't want to end this week's lesson without talking about our challenges. Challenge right. challenge up on Thursday. The challenge up up. The challenge says, open your heart in prayer for a greater portion of faith with which to share your love for those near and far. Amen. The motive to, to witness to all people. And the challenge up is... List three spiritual blessings that you have experienced from Jesus in your personal life and prepare to share these concepts with your Sabbath school class. Well, I think that's a fine challenge up, but I would encourage the up up to go beyond that. Why don't you share the blessings of the Lord with people who are not just in your Sabbath school class? Maybe Here's my challenge up up or my challenge up up up. Start planning a public evangelistic campaign with your church where you're going to get out and reach these people uh, in, in that, so you're going to uh, advertise to them. You're going to talk to them. You're going to invite them in. You're, you're going to start them. working with them ahead of time That's and right. and have a well planned out. Um, have a have a uh, what, what is it strategy? It, I'm not looking for that. The what does the church manual say? Oh, oh an active on. ongoing discipleship plan. Like <laughs> start it now and execute that plan and win some souls to Christ. Amen. Let's close with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, in your wisdom, allowing us, in fact, requiring us to be co-laborers with you in winning the world to Jesus. Please, dear Lord, help us not to limit your power through our own lack of faith. Instead, give us the eyes of Christ, give us that eye salve of the Holy Spirit to see candidates for the kingdom everywhere we go, that all of those distinctions, those man-made separating walls might be broken down by the power of God in our lives and that we would share our faith regardless of all those distinctions and knowing that every person is precious in your sight. So, Lord, help them to be precious in our sight, too. Train us in the work that you would have us do. For we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.